Welcome to episode 50 of Texing, hosted by myself, Justin Vincent, and Jason Roberts. And today we have a very special guest with us, John C. Dvorak. Hey, guys. Happy 50th. <laughs> Thank you very much. Well, thanks. I guess we've passed middle age. <laughs> I'm not sure. You know, I think middle age for a podcast, you probably have to get to 200 episodes. Right. So you, uh, Cranky Geeks is well, well into the 200s now, right? Yeah, we've been doing that for, uh, I don't know what, for almost five years. Wow. And, and Twit has been around how long? Twit's been around uh, uh, longer. Um, they started, uh, I don't know, about six months to a year earlier. And that was sort of like the first big podcast, wasn't it? Twit? Yeah, Twit. Yeah, I think Twit is uh, it's probably still the uh, uh, hanging in there as one of the uh, premier uh, big audience podcasts. It has a huge following, and people just routinely uh, listen and watch. It does a video now. Right, right. Go on, Justin. I'm sorry, I keep interrupting you. <laughs> no, no, no problem. Um, you just you just switched up our intro. That's all. <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. I didn't mean to confuse you. I just got a little distracted there. <laughs> That's no problem. Well, you're talk, talking to the main man there. So, well, I mean, one one of the things um, that 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 we really wanted to to talk to you about was a little bit about your your early years and how you kind of um, transitioned from working for the man to being your own boss. Well, I, st I still work for the man in various contract positions. I'm still writing for PC Magazine on a uh, routine basis. Uh, Market Watch, I write for them. And then I have some international contracts. And uh, I, I, I'm still part-time at Mevio as a vice president of, of some uh, of the uh, tech channel. And uh, so I'm never really not kind of working for the man, but I, I have enough variety that I do a lot of stuff on my own. And I think uh, much of it is... Uh, uh, has more, more potential, and I, th I don't think there's any reason uh, if people really understand these technologies that they have to actually work for anybody. I mean, you can always work for somebody on a contract basis. It's not a big deal, but right. uh, if, if they got rid of you, you should be able to hang in there. Was, was there a moment uh, during your career where you kind of felt, okay, I'm, I'm liberated now, I'm, I'm kind of free in a sense, or has it always been kind of the same? Uh, no, actually, it's, it fluctuates quite a bit. Um, it's, you know, I've been a writer since the, uh, probably I, I, I could trace it to seven, a professional writer. I've always been a writer. I used to write for the high school newspaper and the college newspaper. But uh, from a professional perspective, I've only been a writer since 1979, which is a long time. And uh, I was the ed early editor of InfoWorld, and then I kind of quit because I had some book contracts and I could keep a couple columns in there. And at that point, I, was, I realized that you could actually not have to actually work for anybody. You still have to have these arrangements. But uh, I tried to have arrangements with enough companies that if one of them decided they didn't like me anymore, I wouldn't be uh, hung out to dry, as it were. And I think a lot of, if you're a professional writer in, in particular, uh, you have to always worry about that. And some people, you know, they... They get hung out to dry. They have no other uh, alternative income stream. And the next thing you know, they have to go work for public relations. Um, I, I don't know how much of that you got. I got most of it. Just the end part. I, I missed just the end part. Oh, I, well, my point was that, you know, you have to be uh, conservative when you're, a, um, when you're writing for a living. 
you know, we talk a lot about that in terms of um, you know consulting for say you know writing software. So Jess and I have both been at least for the past year or two have been uh, independent, I guess, programmers or co- contractors. And, and Justin has had fewer contracts than I've had. He's had a couple bigger contracts and has had more stress because of that. Or I've had four or five smaller ones. And you're right. It's like you keep a whole bunch and it's like, well, if one goes down, you're not in too much trouble. But of course, you're, you spend a lot of time juggle, mentally juggling everything. I mean, do you find by juggling all of these contracts and writing all these columns and doing these podcasts that you get kind of mentally spent just trying to figure out what you should be thinking about? No. Uh, as a matter of fact, I don't. I find it, uh, my thing over the years, I've discovered that the more work you do and the more stuff you have to do, the more you uh, kind of self-program your, yourself to not do to not have that problem i've always told people that it's easier to write a three columns a week for a month after month than it is to write one monthly column right just kind of like if you got if you if what's the old saying that if you need something done give it to somebody who has a lot to do yeah, <laughs> yeah. no I, I honestly believe that's true and i've noticed it right and no, you. I, one thing I would be curious to know is sort of how does your work week look like? I mean, you have all of these columns to write. You have, you know, I don't know, a half dozen podcasts you do. Uh, do you have sort of like a routine? You get up and you're like, okay, I'm going to get this knocked out in the first hour. Or how, how how do you work through your day and your week? Well, you know, I actually studied this with other writers, professionals, and found out, and it's kind of the way it works best. It's typically, you try to do all your work. Uh, you just get up and you work till noon, and then you're done. Okay. Essentially, <laughs> right. Yeah. So just crank it out, and then the afternoon. Then what? Do you, what's the afternoon for you like? I, I don't know. I did. I, sometimes I just read, or I walk, you know, I, I work on some stuff in advance. I do research. I do whatever I feel like. I don't really have any rigid schedule for the afternoon. Now the problem I have is with some of the podcasts. I do the Dvorak Horowitz Unplugged podcast, and, we, and I have to because of uh, Horowitz having to work for a living uh, <laughs> as a stock uh, analyst broker. He. Right. Uh, is busy. And so we ha- I do that at seven o'clock my time, 10, 10 PM his time. Uh, and, um, it's a late, it's a, you know, on Tuesdays, generally, sometimes we, we change the date on Tuesdays and that changes the structure of things. And, and cranky geeks, we do at one o'clock in the afternoon on Wednesdays. So that changes the structure of things. And the twit show, when I do that, uh, which seems to be down a bit. I'm probably do- going to be doing about once a month, it looks like. But uh, that is at 3 uh, p.m. So that changes the old writing model where you just work in the morning and then you do other stuff later. Uh, right. But it's not that bad. And, you know, it doesn't, it's not like it's a burden. I mean, I could take on more stuff if I wanted, if I wanted to, if I could. Yeah, right. I'm curious to know, do you, do you make uh, more of your income from writing or from podcasting? Uh, I think at this point it's mostly from writing, but it's coming around to uh, go the other way because the uh, No Agenda podcast, which we do twice a week, uh, people can look it up on Google, uh, is actually bringing in enough money that it may be the um, highest source of income. We do it on a donation basis, right. which I believe is the one of the best ways to do uh, podcasting. In other words, uh, listener supported because it, it has a number of features that are unusual. One is that if you can see if anybody's interested, it's almost right. like a direct connection. If nobody cares to give you 10 cents, um, well, then you can go off and do something else. You're just wasting your time. Uh, so I think that's important to know. And, and, and people do, by the way, like to, uh, 
voluntarily donate. Uh, people just do. They just, I mean, a lot of people, not everybody, but a lot of people really feel that they're part of something when they do that. And one of the things we've done, because people have criticized me, well, you know, you can't make any money asking for money. And, you know, although, you know, if you really look at the, at the, at the powers that really do well asking for money, in other words, public broadcasting, PBS, NPR, right. they're asking for money constantly and they get it from both listeners and advertisers, essentially, which is, I think, unfair. And, and then churches. I mean, right. well, it's really funny you should say that because, I mean, I'm, I'm an avid listener of no, no Gender. I absolutely love it. But one of the things I've noticed is as, as the show's developed, there's certain similarities between evangelical television and no agenda in the sense that uh, you guys are raising money via donations and also trying to change people's belief systems. Yeah, that's true. And that, I think that's why one of the reasons it works so well. But I don't think you have to try to change people's belief systems to use the, uh, the uh, donation methodologies developed by, by churches. Uh, it's just a coincidence in this oh, case. Okay. Uh, I think and the one thing I will point out to people who question the idea uh, and I, I honestly believe that it's 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 a very uh, good method. Uh, is that a lot of people have tried to do it before, and I, I've always noticed that the problem that they have is that they don't do it with any sincerity. They kind of are embarrassed that they're asking for money, and then they uh, kind of sheepishly, you know, give a PayPal account or something. They don't really, really demand it enough. I don't. I think they just don't take it serious, and so they don't really get much, uh, much support because you know they're obviously fooling around or whatever. We're very sincere about it. Uh, we don't have any. Uh, qualms about doing it uh and we take it seriously and we do mailings as follow-ups and we uh you know when when you themed it it really changed for me so originally um you would just basically ask for the donations but then you started bringing in knights of the no agenda round table (laughs) and all of your all of the themes do was is it deuces on the on the what (laughs) double nickels on the dime yeah that exactly (laughs) (laughs) so when you started theming it I, i i've i've it became much less um how can I say this kind of uh, of a nag? Do you, do you know what I mean? Yeah, well, that, I mean that's not an unusual technique. I mean the uh, public broadcasting people use that. The the churches do that too. The only thing we've we haven't done. I mean these these methodologies for marketing uh, to get income uh, is is not uh, not something we've invented. I mean it's a very it's a it's a technique that works, and people seem some people some people don't like it, but some people find it nicer than us doing ads, which I still would find uh, uh, would ruin the show, to be honest about it. Um, it's, it's that th- these ideas, the, 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 uh, the, to have these little extra gimmicks where you get named, you, you, you become a, uh, a producer, we use that too, which is a really good idea, and a legitimate right. credit. But what, the one thing we haven't done except for the fact that we owe our No Agenda Nights a ring, is, the, uh, is the, what PBS does, and some televangelists on TV do, which is to uh, offer something, you know, a prayer cloth or a DVD of, uh, of a lousy show or something like that. And or maybe they, that and, underwear that uh, you guys were talking about uh, about a year yeah, ago. Yeah, well, the underwear thing, we <laughs> thank God we stopped talking about it. Uh, that would have been a nightmare. <laughs> right. And, uh, uh, but anyway, the uh, we we haven't done that. We experimented a little bit with T-shirts early on, and then we decided that you know this is not a good a good thing because once you start establishing that, you're basically just shilling products, right. and we wanted to avoid that. It's also a lot of work. 
and, and that's one of the reasons we just open sourced our brand name and let people, if you want to sell a t-shirt using the No Agenda logos or No Agenda art or, or and you want to start a thing called the No Agenda t-shirt company, we're absolutely glad. Go ahead. Go do it. And you can make money from it, and you don't. No, own license you, fee? you don't really make any money from it. They, they voluntarily, these people that have done this, they voluntarily give us a cut, uh, and that's just a volunteer thing. They don't even have to do that. I mean, if they just want to go off, and we don't, we we believe it creates. It's like the open source movement. I mean, you just have to at some point let yourself go, and just let these things happen. If they, if somebody wants to profit from it, and they don't want to give us a nickel, that's their business. We're not well, gonna, we're not gonna sue anybody. It's kind of like Microsoft's, you know, having Office uh, pirated in, in China or something for all those years. I guess they figure, well, you know, enforcing it's going to be too hard, and, and and I guess it'll at least spread spread it as a standard. In, yeah, in well, well, that's in yeah, but that's insincere. We're actually don't we we don't you know Microsoft would complain about this. Oh, this is a piracy thing. These right. these guys right. are stealing our product. We don't do that. It's like if you want to distribute the show. You know, as far as we're concerned, uh, go do it. Uh, you want to start up something that's that's a you know, helps us out, uh, gets more attention to the no agenda brand. I don't care. Yeah, uh, that's a that's a that's a really good idea. It helps. They're they're spreading the word for you in, in a sense. They're kind of free marketing, I guess. It is a marketing trick. There's no doubt about it. But you know, if we had our act together and we were a strong little company, we wanted to just take all that stuff. We could probably make additional money that would be a little more than we're going to get from these guys. But again, it's like we really want to put our concentration on actually doing the show. As opposed right. to digging up advertisers or looking for underwriters or selling T-shirts or doing this and all this other stuff, which is you know kind of a time-consuming process, we, which could better be you know done. I mean, the time could better be used to listening to C-SPAN or you know making clips from different shows and spending a little time on the show. Hey, Jace, you right. had some questions about uh, I, how we could grow our podcast. <laughs> well, before I get to that, I'd like to go back to a few things that uh, John mentioned, um, if, if you don't mind. Uh, the, the, the first thing is, did it, Leo Laporte, he changed the model from donation to advertisers uh, at some point. Wasn't it like a year or two ago? And it was a while back, yeah. He's doing very well with the advertising model. He, he was, again, uh, insincere with the donation model. He was like, you know, kind of offhanded. Golly, you mm -hmm. know, if you want to donate, you know, you can take uh, give us five bucks a month or ten bucks a month. It wasn't he wasn't really selling it. He was mostly, uh, I mean, yeah, I mean, the way he sells Ford, or the way he sells uh, the uh, uh, Audible books. If he put that much right. effort into a donation, uh, you know, as much effort as he puts into those those ads that he does into donations, he'd probably make about almost as much money as he's making now, or maybe more. For all I know, I don't but he's know. He's very comfortable with the advertising model. He like well, he's all radio guy, you know, so he yeah. read, knows how to do ads. It, it, it takes a lot of, um, uh, let's say, cojones to basically be able to kind of just just do that. So I don't know if everyone could could follow your your guys's route. It, the thing the thing is, it's, it's like it's like in uh, all these startups, right? There's there's more than one way to skin a cat, and you kind of have to go through the model that works for you and the, and the personality. And I guess it's for these guys for you know no agenda, you know they can do it because. They believe in the model, whereas Leo couldn't because he didn't believe in the model, but he's more comfortable with another model. But as long as you do, you pick a direction and you really do it, there's probably an opportunity there. Was it always going to be that way? Was it always going to be donations? Or, or did you, I mean, uh, when No Agenda started, did you know that it was going to get this big? Did you know 
the direction you were going in uh initially we were just kind of fooling around with the with the model of basically we were fooling around with the show model in other words we had to deal with what we we're going to talk about how we we're going to move what direction we're going to move into and what was going to be natural for us to do and deconstructing news stories seemed to be the thing that we both enjoy doing uh, looking for uh, you know uh, uh especially it's kind of competitive because we don't really rehearse the show when we don't know what the other guy's going to talk about right. and so occasionally you get you get you know cornered it's like oh my i never heard this story and then you have to like give it to the other guy to go with it uh right. but that was the getting that part of it done was one thing and then when we started looking into the the financing of the show uh it you know we looked at the advertising thing and then i've always been kind of a hobbyist when it comes to uh, uh the donation model i've studied it uh over the years because I've been fascinated with it. And I used to write, uh, I'm sorry, work, I did a uh, public radio show for four or five years called Software Hard Talk. And there was another, and it had, it had two different names and two different iterations. Uh, and that was on public broadcasting stations that you know, where I had to go in and, and do some pitching once in a while for donating. And uh, I was, I never was comfortable doing it because I always thought it was a, it was I wasn't used to it, and I didn't necessarily like it, but I thought it was an interesting idea. And so then, it just I just decided actually, uh, and I talked Adam into. It. I said, "Look, here's what we're going to do. We're going to start, you know, what I call it, begging for money." And uh, he was game, and we started uh, trying it out and seeing what kind of response we'd get. And we pushed the listener supported angle and all these other things that to encourage people to, you know, if we, we will stop, we actually are sincere about this. We'll actually stop doing the show if we don't continually get support because it means that we either fell off the track, we're doing something wrong because we know what, you know, we can tell that people are, are listening to the show by how much they donate. And it, right. which is a good feedback mechanism because there's nothing out there other than that. I mean, all these metrics uh, systems don't work. They're all wrong and it's just useless. Yeah, that, that's, a, that's a question I want to ask you about. That's like, how do you even track, is there a way to even track listeners outside of, say, you mean you're using donations as a metric, but how, it's how a crap shoot. Right. It's a total crapshoot. Yeah, I mean, we, I, you can you can count the downloads, but it doesn't mean anyone listens to the show. You don't know if they're going to listen to the whole show. I mean, we put our donation thing uh, in the middle of the show, uh, our, our plea in the middle of the show, essentially. And it was at the mm -hmm. end of the show. And I was I've been moving it around thinking, well, we should do I mean, we kind of decided at about the one hour point we're going to slow down and, and, and ask for money. And because uh, I figure some people can't get through two hours of the show. It's the show is essentially a long show. It's it's and designed basically for people to listen to in their car commuters. And there's a lot of people that have those one hour commutes. I don't know how they do it. And uh, they listen to this show religiously because it gives them something to do while they're driving to work. And <laughs> Yeah, I th I think there's a lot of people that listen to it casually, but but it's it's really we think about we honestly think about the guy commuting uh, as the guy who uh, we're talking to. I think also guy like I mean I, I use it when I'm I don't know uh, working out or something you know doing a, lo a long piece of cardio. <laughs> so I think it it can it can work in other scenarios. I've as well. heard other people that listen to it during cardio. I don't know <laughs> I don't know yeah. how they can do it, but they uh, I, it's not to to me uh, exercise in this show it is incompatible. But I guess <laughs> I guess I mean I would you know be listening to trance music or something like that if I'm on on a treadmill. But apparently a lot of people do. I you know and I, I guess you could time the you know if you really had to do a 
long workout. You know, you could listen to one show and you'd... Well, it's because I think if I, if I burn off enough calories, then I can eat some of the food that you guys talk about. <laughs> we don't talk about food as much as we used to. Um, it rubs a lot of people the wrong way when we talk about going to expensive restaurants. Uh, That's and, interesting. You know, so we have minimized a little bit. And I, and I think we made our point about, you know, the situation with food in this country. Right. right. The um, another question I wanted to ask you about was, you know, you you're talking about reducing your time on Twit, or you will be doing it less often. And you know, I don't find Twit nearly as entertaining when you're not there because it's just a bunch of really nice people being nice to each other. There's no sort of controversy. And you, one thing you bring to the table is you're like, ah, that's crap, you know. And I, and I find <laughs> it hilarious, and I find it entertaining. And when you're not there, it's just it's just kind of boring. I mean, it's in, because there's not any contention. And you know, I think you and you and um, Adam have a certain amount of contention on issues. You argue back and forth. What do you think about contention in a podcast for making it? Well, I think it's a useful thing because you create some tension. Curry and I will argue. I mean, he because he has he still has this thing about uh, chemtrails, which I I just <laughs> yeah I heard that the one of your most recent episodes. He, well, he there. he's gets on this jag he actually hadn't done it for six months and now next thing you know he because because he's stunned that i don't believe that this is going on uh, <laughs> so he's been harping on it i think it's boring personally but uh uh on leo's show they uh it becomes a uh, gab fest uh that goes i think just lingers too long and i think it, it loses a lot of its uh its interest i think it actually gets boring uh yeah. The best shows, if I'm if I'm working with with the uh, group, is is when I'm at the cottage, because Leo and I have worked radio before together, and we can cue off of each other, and uh, and I always cue him and try to find some way of getting him into trouble, and he <laughs> and he's always aware of that, so he's uh, uh, very amused by my proclivity to to do this anyway yeah you yeah. guys have a good rapport and that's why i always enjoy it that's why when you're you're absent it's kind of it's kind of, it's just like something's missing and uh you know i've justin and i have a certain amount of contention in our in our shows we tend to disagree a lot and occasionally get into big arguments and i've noticed that it actually makes it better without us intentionally doing it that when we agree on everything it's just not so much fun and there's a one podcast that I to a couple times called like the scenic buzz out loud and everybody's so high energy and so nice it's just it's hard to even Hard to hard to listen to. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I have a, oh, sorry. I I'm just I'm here at this on my workstation for this thing. I'm looking down, and there's one of my printers it has like this pool of black ink that has just formed. I guess this thing uh, one of the cartridges blew up on me, Oof. and it's like inkjet ink. I, mean, I don't know if you ever got this stuff on you. Yeah, yeah, it's impossible to get off. It's impossible. I'm gonna. I don't know what I'm gonna do now as this thing starts to spread. <laughs> it's like the black oil from the X Files. Are you able to continue? Or, or no, no, you... no. I'm just. I would just watch it. <laughs> it's starting to soak into the wood. So I, I had another question just relating to what we were just talking about, um, which is that you're you're famous for your grouch persona. And I was wondering, is that something that you uh, at the beginning of of your career sort of cultivated, or is it actually you? Well, I have cultivated it because I'm uh, I'm, I'm naturally cynical and I'm an, also a natural critic, and uh, but I like to push it uh, a little further than than I would be now. You know, if you actually if you actually ran into me on the street, um, right. and it, it which is which 
I don't know exactly what my rationale is, but it gets more attention as a writer. You get more uh, more people want to read the whole thing because you know it's just grouchy guy bitching about something. Uh, but it's also a very good way to put people off when they meet you and they expect that persona. In other words, the the tech grouch kind of guy, some guy just complaining constantly. Because right. I'm not natural. I don't. I'm not that way uh, generally. Uh, I mean, I you know I. I can be that way. I can start to complain in front of somebody if they want, but I generally I'm not. I'm very uh, amenable, and so it, it usually puts people. It's like it takes people aback, especially you know Macintosh people, you know, because they're going to come up and expect to get into a debate with me, and I'm not interested uh, <laughs> in the least. And it's like, well, this guy's a soft touch, and they they are very disappointed usually. Now, are I you remember in- one time. I remember one time I was at a, at a, a CES. Uh, event and it was at a tech tv they had the whole crew was there and and a couple of the people at tech tv and i won't say who they are but they like to pretend to be huge celebrities and they have like a little entourage and the rest of it and i would always like to just be hanging out in the audience and or in the crowd and you get these people that are kind of they they're kind of you know antsy around you for a while and then you 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 just tell them hi well you, you know you just introduce yourself and you act nonchalant and they get they get they, some of them get very disappointed that you're not really uh carrying yourself like you know michael jackson they want and, the famous persona that, that you've you've portrayed i guess yeah they right yeah but i'm actually not of that i'm not that style I'm, i'd rather you know i don't like the idea there's a lot of people that do this i don't like the idea of uh of the celebrity uh, persona, I just I find it uh, uh, annoying, and I I, I, don't, I refuse to take part in that game. But but you must get some benefits from being a celebrity, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Once in a while, people recognize you at the at the uh, rent a car place or uh, cop. The other day, a few weeks ago, I got pulled over. And the guy recognized me. <laughs> it, was, it was hilarious. And he's, we chatted a little bit about something, and he you know, just you know told me to go home, and it was the end of it. But, uh, That's funny. Yeah. But I mean, also, I mean, you. Uh, there must be other benefits in the sense of um, getting free. Uh, I don't know tickets and things like that, right? Well, I mean, if you're a journalist, you can get free tickets and free, uh, uh, you know, uh, loaners of different products and 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 entrance fees waived to just about anything you want. So you don't have to be famous. I mean, if you're a working writer with credentials i mean there's a lot of uh, perks involved uh, i mean you're not supposed to take uh, overly take you're not supposed to take advantage of them to the point where you're just you know stealing stuff but but it's pretty common that you know you get into events and do things that other people just won't get into well, you're you're still not getting invited to the google events though right well i mean you know i could actually uh or is that just something you have fun complaining about that's not really an issue? Well, it's actually, it is a gimmick. I mean, I don't, uh, if I wanted to go to a Google event, I would have no trouble going into one. Right. Uh, right. I, but I had still to contact somebody because Google seems to be kind of lost. They don't know who anybody is. I mean, the people that work uh, at the bottom of the Google ladder are, are dim-witted. But right. uh, I, can, <laughs> I can pretty much get into most things. Is that things. true for Apple? Can you, can you get into the Apple stuff? You I, know, I, I haven't tried because I've just kind of, you know, I saw Steve in his heyday and I got kind of tired of the act. And, and I know that, the, you know, I'm not going to get any product from them because I'm on the blacklist. Right. But the, uh, I could probably go to an Apple uh, rollout, but I don't really enjoy it. I find, you know, there's a bunch of fanboys. They're all clapping at everything. And, and you, you know, at some point you feel like an idiot, you know, sitting in the, in the peanut gallery uh, taking the same notes everybody else is taking. Uh, I'd just as soon watch it on video. 
Are you impressed with Steve's second coming? And, and we, you know, we, we were expecting it to happen. Well, uh, I am impressed. It's impressive. You can't deny it. And was I expecting it? I thought things would improve, but I didn't think he was going to take the world by by a storm. I mean, with all this new inventions that are changing things drastically. So I, that was I was actually shocked. And the fact that he pulled off this iPad thing is amazing to me. Yeah, it, but it, it's it's such a nice little device. Uh, don't want to get too much into that because yeah, uh, yeah. But so Jason, you go. Well, yeah, I, I'd be interested to find out, like, how, how did these shows get started? I mean, you have about half a dozen now, Tech 5, Tech Grouch, Cranky Geeks, um, you know, Twit, uh, you know, and No Agenda. How, how did these in individual shows get started? I mean, did, like, for instance, did Adam Curry just call you up and was it his idea? And, or how, how, were you guys just talking over dinner sometime? I mean, how do did, how did these things come about? Curry wanted to do a podcast of some sort. Mm -hmm. And so he did a couple. You can hear the first one. You could dig it up. Uh, it was... Uh, it's debatable how we came up with the name, but the point is, is he wanted to do something. So we just started doing a, you know, I, and I've always had this model in my head. I've never done it. I, although now I do two podcasts like this. I do Curry's and Horowitz's. Uh, I always had this model in my head based on the fact that my wife's up in Washington. And most of the time, if I'm not up there or she's down, she might be down here a lot. But when she's up there, she likes to chat. And she always is telling me about these crazy news stories that she discovers. And I was realized one day, I said, you know, we should turn this into a podcast because it's more interesting than anything else I listen to. And it's basically, <laughs> we're essentially nice. wasting content. And so, right. I, in fact, the we original, that, yeah. yeah, so the actually the original name of the Horowitz podcast was Eavesdrop. Because the way I see it, uh, Adam and I and Horowitz and I, we're just essentially having a chat and right. somebody gets to eavesdrop on the chat we're not, you know, even though we do say ladies and gentlemen once in a while, but for the most part, it's just a chat between two people and somebody gets to listen in. And I believe that could be entertaining if you have the right two people talking to each other. I mean, if you could just imagine hooking up to any two people talking to each other, like if you could hear Steve Jobs talking to his advertising agency, wouldn't you like to listen in on that? I, I would. Yeah, you know, it, it's funny because that's how we got started because Justin – we, we had a couple conversations and we just had such great conversations about tech and entrepreneurship. He, you know, he just said, Hey, this should be a podcast. Right. It's and, the same exact model. Yeah. And, and a couple things about that. One is that, you know, one thing I, I, the way I describe the show is it's like, we're like two guys that would be sort of like at a software company and we're not working. We're just sitting around having an interesting conversation and you kind of hear us talking about the kind of stuff that those guys would talk about. And you know, the, um, I think I forgot my second point, but yeah, <laughs> we, oh, and we kind of modeled ourselves after No Agenda to some degree, right? Justin, I mean, that was your favorite podcast and you, you no, no Agenda, strangely, the, like of all the podcasts that I listen to, it's the only one that I come, you know, continue to come back to again and again. Like, I mean, because the other stuff can just get kind of boring. Whereas, uh, so just, just to talk to that one point, you're saying, listening, listening to Steve Jobs and the Apple, the Apple advertising executive, I don't think it could possibly be as interesting as No Agenda because... The characters involved wouldn't be as interesting. Do you know what I'm saying? So in, yeah, in no, sense, but I'm just saying you would like to listen to it uh, yeah, at least yeah. once. So the idea was that you know we have this conversation and it's kind of you know in the case of No Agenda, it's kind of slightly competitive, and uh, we deliver you know yeah, and we have a model. We deliver kind of these you know backgrounds. We we have all basic theories of the way the the world operates, and then we try to look at things going on and then put it into that model. And, uh, I don't know. It's, 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 it's entertaining. Now, what's interesting to me is that it is a, 
essentially a kind of a, a like a, any sort of talk show that you run into in modern radio today, except it has two people, and there are no guests. People every once in a while want to be guests. We refuse to do guests. We're not going to do guests. It's never going to happen. If uh, uh, Adam wants to go interview somebody and run it on the stream on some other in some other format, call it something else. I can do that too, and I probably will. We might take a clip from that and put it on no agenda because it you know to to make a point. But we're not putting guests on the show, and we're not having guest hosts or anything like that. It's just these two guys talking. Uh, about you know what happened in the news over the last few days and what you know what they think about it and that's all there is to it and that is uh, the model and it's just simple it's you know it doesn't need much tweaking uh, we still getting more listeners than uh, one week after the other might slow down this summer not sure we have a, a, a good size following um, a lot of publicity using you know and I don't think it needs a lot of it, this it's a model that doesn't need fixing that's for sure. Right, so it's just it's just sort of you can't argue with success. It's obviously working. You're growing, so there's no problem with it. And uh, you know, it's kind of interesting because you know, Justin and I invite guests on. I generally prefer our conversations; they're more fun than it is usually than having guests. But I've noticed that bringing guests on for us helps us grow the show because if you have a following of somebody who's a guest, then a certain number of those people who tune in just for that show end up sticking around and we're coming out of nowhere unlike you and Adam who have you know followings and readerships you know we came out with zero so we kind of have to do that I think but I definitely enjoy the just the, the talk back and forth and one thing that's funny about it is or it's interesting about it is that it's like the most interesting conversation for me for the week because I, I you actually prepare for it like we spend the week at least I do I spend the week writing down all my best ideas or making notes of the most interesting stories or blog posts that I read, and I say, okay, let's cram this into an hour, hour and a half, and that's yeah. what works. I, I don't do any work, unfortunately. Yeah, I've noticed that. <laughs> so how, how, how have you know, John, how have you noticed that these shows evolve? I mean, is the kind of thing they start out in one direction and then you pivot hard? I mean, No Agenda, it sounds like that started out with the concept was pretty solid. Um, but what, well, yeah, the what, concept was solid. The, the length of the show was not. We didn't, uh, you know, we tried to keep the show 45 minutes when we started, and that was two hours and plus. Right. Uh, we want to do three shows a, uh, a week, but I don't think it's possible. Uh, right. There's just too much work involved. Uh, and the best shows are still Thursday shows where we have that extra day to work. You know, on getting material. Uh, I mean, the, the, the difference between the Thursday show and the Sunday show is that you got Thursday, you're done with the show, you, you're not going to want to do anything. So you got Friday and Saturday, you got two days, and one of them is a weekend day to, to prepare for another show. It's just it, to do a Tuesday show, it would be one day. So right. it would be, I, I just can't imagine it being possible unless we, you know, and we don't really have any. Uh, any interns or anything and besides that it's not it wouldn't work that way we have to it's not like anyone can really give us material i mean people right. send us ideas and look at this story and they go on and on and we sometimes use those in fact we use quite a bit of them but it's not as though uh they've ever developed them the stories they just point them out to us hey can i change direction slightly i've got, I've got a question that i've been itching to ask you okay. have you ever done any programming you mean like in a radio station no, as, oh, sorry. Oh, okay. yeah, no, I Co used to program coding. in, uh, well, I, mean, I can't say I was, a, I never machine coded, but I used to program in uh, BASIC, when it, the earliest versions of BASIC, and, uh, and, and uh, you know, I toyed around with uh, uh, C, but, you know, it was just too much work, and... Um, 
Yeah, I did a little program, but it's all basic, you know, uh, North Star Basic in the 1970s and some other, you know, I, I also took a class in APL, which is kind of a obscure language that's very powerful that, uh, I don't know, if it did me any good. So for, for fun uh, rather than for work? No, I actually did, a, I did a, the basic stuff. I actually made some products. Oh, nice. What, like what? No, it was, a, it was a little database manager and some other things that were done for uh, the North Star system back before in the 8-bit microcomputing era. Huh. Cool. Dude, now you, you, you mentioned about how doing multiple shows a week. I mean, do you think it would make any difference if you did one show versus two or three in terms of the growth or, say, even the income from the shows? I think the more shows you do, the more income you're going to get. Uh, really? and I say that because it's it's everything you know. If you just you just the basics of advertising and marketing. If I ask you for money mm-hmm. five times, I'm going to get so much money from a group of people. If I ask you ten times, I, I may not get twice as much, but I'm going to get more. Right. Just exposure, then. Yeah, it's, it's just kinda, exposure. It's kind of like I know. I, you know, if we did three shows a week, we'd get more money. There's no doubt about it. I just don't think the shows would be that good. Right, so there's only so much material. How, well, how much uh, time do you need to spend to prep for these shows? I mean, do some shows take more work than others? I mean, it sounds like for no well, agenda. Well, if can... you get into deep, you know, once in a while you get on some, some you fall into a rabbit hole and you got all this stuff you got to dig out of, dig up uh, because it's interesting and you can't stop. It just takes about eight hours to prepare for a show, maybe. Really? Eight hours per no agenda show? Wow. Now, what about for Cranky Geeks and Tech 5? Well, Cranky Geeks is a, uh, uh, basically I'm just a host. Okay. Uh, I mean, I have to discuss these topics, and I know, but I know these topics. This is like what I do for Tech Five. Tech Five, I just go over the news on a daily basis, pick the ones that are interesting, and then I, you know, kind of blow throw them out there. In the same at the same time, that has prepared me for Cranky Geeks. So I mean, I don't have to do anything for Cranky Geeks except kind of book the guests. So, but so for Tech Five, I mean, is it like a half hour of just you know jotting down your the whole the whole show takes a period of uh, first get getting enough uh, news feeds that I can go through them. The, the whole process is about an hour total. Do you produce Tech Five? Yeah. So do you do you 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 come up with the intros and the outros? And- I do all that. I do. I produce Tech Five and the DH Unplug show. I, I uh, love Adam, the Adam produces the uh, No Agenda show and uh, Brooke, uh, Brooks Rowlett produces uh, Cranky Geeks. I love the I love all the your intros and outros for Tech Five. I love the greatest, you know, John C. DeVore, greatest living man walking the world today. Those are awesome. I like I like it. What about the digital watch? You know, the guys like drag oh, and that drop, digital drag watch. And drop. Yeah, drag and drop. It's not even digital. <laughs> I mean, those are great. I mean, so how do you how do you how do you even find those? I watch you know I watch the Family Guy and I when I see when I hear a clip that I think is memorable I'll I'll stop the DVR and grab my little H two recorder, and um, and just dub it off and then put it on a you know it creates an MP three and then I just put it in the in the mix. Right, those are great. Those are great idea. I'm glad you do that. Uh, yeah, I, it's like there's a handful. It's like you keep changing them a little bit, but you bring them back. You know, I, I have a lot of them, but I, 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 you know, it's it's a slight process for me to to swap them in and out. And then I, there's only so many I have on this particular board that I use. So many slots, and I keep thinking, should I drop this one and swap out something? And I, I don't know. I could probably use this. I I talk myself out of of doing more, uh, uh, having more variety. Right. Right. Justin, go ahead. You had a question. Uh, well, w- and one of the things I wanted to ask John was um, when when you make an observation or a prediction, for example, the famous one about um, 
no evidence people want to use a mouse. Are, it are wasn't you, a prediction. It was an observation. Oh, oh, sorry. An observation. And it was in 1984 when the mouse was unknown. I <laughs> <laughs> just want to get these things straight. <laughs> right. I was, uh, yeah. I, like, but, you, you explained that on a Cranky Geeks not too long ago. I, I actually right. have to explain it once every two years. I, I, okay. Are you like a, a trying to be contrarian with those kind of things or is that? Well, just, in the case of that article, which was written forever ago, uh, that was to – there were some actually issues. I actually wrote that column in the San Francisco Examiner, 16 Reasons Why the Macintosh May Fail, which was the title. Not it will. And so uh, I had a uh, – I think 10 or 15 years later, uh, one of the Apple executives wrote and said, do you ever look over that column again and, you know, what a crock it was? And I said, oh, well, let me look it over. So I went back to the column, and I went over each one one of my complaints and it turns out that of the 16 reasons why the Macintosh may fail 14 of my reasons were corrected they had all kinds of weird things in that original Mac it didn't have enough memory 128k it you know I thought it should be a color machine uh, I mean it, it had a weird IEEE interface it wasn't using SCSI it had something wacky I can't remember the name of it but nobody used it it was one thing after another and there were, all these complaints were all corrected and so I wrote another column showing that I was you know essentially uh, correct in my assumptions and of course that just you know nobody paid any attention to that because ah, you know that <laughs> works you're Macintosh hater. <laughs> And that, of course, that pesky, uh, pesky mouse. <laughs> and that mouse thing. But I, I still maintain that at that, that, that time, that what I said was absolutely true. There was no evidence that anybody wanted to use a mouse because there wasn't. They had two products out at the time that had mice on them. One was the Lisa, which was a huge flop. And the other one was the Xerox Star, which was a huge flop. So I'm not seeing any evidence that people want to use a mouse. Okay, so they, they did want to use a mouse, and it became the, the godsend. Similar to if, if you if you said, well, I don't think this iPad's going to go anywhere. I mean, you'd, you'd be justified to say that because every everything else like the iPad that's ever come out has just gone nowhere. Right. Absolutely. And I don't think it, there's any you have, you know, you can say that because look, this is it's actually been tried. There's been three iterations of pad computing, including the Microsoft attempt of, you know, a few years back and they all flopped. Well, you know, that Steve had a different idea and he, you know, took away all the things. I mean, the Newton was a was a was a collapse. Yeah. That's what I was thinking and, of, yeah. But Steve's uh, uh, vision was different enough that the thing was very successful, or so far, well, it is successful, let's face it. And uh, it's a, But it's not, you know, in the mold of any old pad of the past. So you, you used to be a, a wine writer, is that correct? I did some wine writing in the 70s. Oh, okay. How did, how did you get into tech? Like, how did you... I've always... You know, I got into tech when the first microcomputers came out in 1975, 76. I, I thought they were something I should get into because I, I just liked the idea of having a computer on my desk. And I've always had a computer bent, you know, even when I was at... In college, you know, I used I took Fortran for a while. I quit, and then, but I was always, you know, into the punch card scene and the whole thing. I thought there, there's some potential there for some use. That's you like, personally getting into tech. But how did you get like yeah. in your career get into tech? How did that happen? Uh, well, I, I, I got early computers when they first came out. I got a Sol 20 with a North Star hard disk. And then I started selling, you know, I found some software, some public domain software and some stuff I coded, like I said earlier. And I started selling it. And then I also bought some stuff from other people and sold it. So I was kind of a computer software guy early on. 
And then... Uh, so just like Bill Gates, walking around with your operating system. Yeah, don't you wish. <laughs> and then I wouldn't be talking to you guys. And, uh, <laughs> oh, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> you're out. Uh, and so then, but I, I always had these newsletters, these direct marketing newsletters that I did, because uh, I'm kind of a direct marketing uh, trained um, from the Direct Marketing Association seminars mostly. And those are more successful than the software company, but by the way, the way I saw things. So I just decided to become a writer because like I said, I've always had writing experience. We just got some, some weird Skype issues going on there. Yeah, I, was a little, yeah. I, missed the, I missed the end part there, but that, that, well, I just said, I, I started writing about, you know, I was, did a newsletter and it was, you know, it was uh, more successful than the software company. So I started, I decided to just write about the stuff rather than try to sell it. Hmm. Right. So you, it's like a, the, the pivot, right? <laughs> you pivoted your business model. The, the best part of your business model was the writing and just go with that. Um, I mean, how, one thing would be interesting, though, is, is how, how much fun do you have doing this? I mean, do you, do you enjoy doing all these shows? Or you, does it turn out to, or after a while, or to become less fun? How do you feel about it? Uh, I, I don't mind it. I mean, it's not like... Um, it's a, it's a little uh, restrictive because you actually have to, uh, you know, do some work as opposed to I'm writing is work too. But typically with writing, if you're, you know, been writing long enough, you just kind of grind out your pieces and then you put, hit the button and you're done. You're done with it because now it goes to right. some, somebody else and they do the rest of it. With podcasting, you really have to do a little more work. You have to produce your, your product and you have to actually do, you know, you got to put intros and outros. You got to edit it sometimes because of the Skype and whatever issues you might have. And then you uh, uh, have to post it somewhere and then you have to, you know, deal with promoting the post. And it's just a little, I think it's, a, it's, it's more work by, uh, by a lot. Uh, but there's something rewarding about it. And if you know how to do it, once you get the hand, you know, that's one of the reasons I went to work at Mevio because I felt, you know, Leo Laporte and all these guys were way ahead of me when it comes to producing uh, internet audio shows. And right. so I figured, well, let me just catch up. And so I did. And I think I can, you know, I know as much as anybody about podcasting when it comes to producing this stuff and, uh, and marketing it. So uh, it took me, you know, a little while, but it's not rocket science. Do you ever do any voiceover work? No, you know, I've always thought it'd be a good, I think I'd be good, but you know, no, I'm not doing any voiceover work. I wouldn't mind doing voiceover work, but you know, I don't think it's, I don't think it's in the cards. Okay. I, but you, but you do own a spice shop. You have to say that again. You broke up. Oh, sorry. I was just saying that uh, you're not going to do any voiceover work, but you do own a spice shop. Oh, the, 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 the deli. Yeah. Yeah, we had to close that deli because we couldn't sustain it. was always just a break-even proposition. We're going to probably open another one eventually. Oh, okay. We're running a community market now up there. Well, that's interesting. Up where? In, in uh, Port Angeles, Washington. So you, you, but you, so you live in, two, you have two homes. You have a home in Washington and open a home in the Bay Area? Yeah. No. Why do you, why do you keep two separate houses? I don't know. It's, it's just <laughs> more fun. Do you have, was there a learning curve for you? Um, in being on bo on radio or on TV, because I know you move moving from writing to actually being live. And what, what were your biggest learning curves? I mean, aside from the production work, which you talked. About. Well, I did a uh, broadcasting when I was in college too, so it's not like it was completely off the wall. Okay. Uh, the learning curve was. Uh, 
I, there was a learning curve for reading off of a teleprompter. Some people mm-hmm. can do it naturally. Most people can't. It does take a lot of work. I did it for four years every day, so I got pretty good at it. Uh, it's just a matter of uh, it's, it, there is a learning curve to broadcasting, so you feel relaxed and you don't have any difficulty dealing with the fact you got a bunch of people standing around, uh, you know, nonchalantly. Right. Uh, it's probably I think, you know, people should if they're going to want to do that kind of work, they it's going to take them a few years before they are any good. Right. There's I, naturals here and there, but it's rare. Right. Yeah, I, I know that with with the, our show, it took a it took a while just to get over the nervousness, sort of the being stilted, uh, not being able to think and talk at the same time. And, you know, obviously we still have, I think, a ways to go. But um, it's interesting to to kind of figure out how to get over that yeah it's kind of weird in the early days i remember when i was doing radio early on and i was had to read things you know there were announcements or brought or ads or whatever and i noticed that one day i read something and it, it and it came out of my mouth sounding like me talking as opposed <laughs> to sounding like me reading and right. i noticed it was actually noticeable and it was like oh that's interesting i must be getting better Right. Um, do you listen back to your podcasts? Over Rarely. Outside? Yeah. Rarely. I did the podcast. I want to listen to it again for. I mean, sometimes about once a year, I'll go and look at most of my stuff and look at some of the things I do on the TV or the, on the video and on the podcast just to, to see what it sounds like, to see if I'm making some stupid mistake like saying, uh, all the time, which I tend to do because I have a slight stammer, I suppose. And uh, there's one there. So I'll I'll check that out. Or occasionally on TV, I, if I leave my mouth agape a little bit, it looks stupid, I look like an idiot. And so I make the point of closing. I make that physical. I think to myself, close your mouth. Uh, things like that, but not to any extent where I study myself. I, I find it. I find myself rather dull. Right. Do Do you listen to other podcasts? A few of them, but usually not for too long because many of them are. I, it depends. You know, if it's an interesting podcast, I'll listen. I don't have any routine podcasts that I listen to. That's for sure. So there's no favorites right. of yours right, at all. Not really. Now the the show that you do with uh, Leo that, oh, with Twit. Uh, now that's his show, but you're just a guest on it. Or did you guys kind of start it together? How did that How did that work? Yeah, he out? started it. I came in about the tenth week. Okay. He uh, no, it's his it's his operation. I I I'm I come in as a uh, kind of a permanent guest on occasion. Are you a you're a picture on the on the artwork there, right? Not you're anymore. He took all you? our pictures off, and now it's just a big microphone. Okay. He'll replace that with a picture of himself. Why are you going to be? Why is your uh, role going to be reduced in the show? Oh, I think it's because he's he hired so many people uh-huh. that he has to put them to work, and uh, that includes you know he's got uh, he's got Tom Merritt working there. He's I think he's got I don't know if he's hired Becky Worley, but he, she's doing something for him, and he and there's also uh, uh, what's her name? Uh, I can't. Uh, Sarah Lane is working for him full time, and he's got about eight people in the in the back room. So wow. uh, I think you know, since I'm not working for him, I think I'm going to be marginalized. Do you think it's it's working? The I mean, I, I know that it is working financially, but what do you think of the format of just being on air all day long every day? I wouldn't do it. I think it works. For, I think it works for Leo. I mean, he enjoys being on the air all day. But I it, I'm reminded of Gene Scott who used to be a televangelist who was on the air 24-7. Um, <laughs> obviously, many of these things are just re- reruns, but he was just on all the time, sitting there. 
And uh, this is kind of what Leo does. I mean, it sounds like he's going to need to spawn off more shows with him not as a host. I mean, is, is it just a way of him just growing the company that the more shows he can do, the more revenue for the company? and Or is it just purely because he enjoys it? I think he enjoys it, but I think he sees the money in it because uh, he does very well. Right. Huh. Um, what what advice would you have for, say, a, a podcast like ours that's just starting out? And we've hit fifty shows. We've done it for a year. You know, we have I don't know something like maybe five hundred listeners, something like that. I mean, do you have any advice that would be applicable to our stage? What we should do? Try and do next? You got to get more listeners. What you yeah. need to do, you have to get a uh, some blogs or some action going uh, here and there. Uh, that promotes the, the the podcast more. You have to promote it more than you're doing. Uh, it's all a promo- everything's promotion, and the podcasting is no different. And success right. stems from the amount of effort you want to put into promotion. Uh, and you have right. to do your own promotion nowadays. Nobody's going to help you, so you have to learn promotional techniques and uh, and start promoting the podcast. And one way of doing that is to have uh, every once in a while during the podcast have some very compelling. Of angle on some story nobody's even thought of, and then promote it. You know, look what right. we talked about. This no one's done this. We're the only ones, kind of thing. And then um, get some people because people, if they like what you're doing, they'll they'll listen, and you'll you'll start to develop a following. It, it takes 18 months before uh, before you really get any traction doing anything. That's one thing people don't want to put up with, but it does take. It takes a year and a half. Yeah, it sounds like a lot of people, I mean, you see a lot of these tech podcasts start up and they go 10, 15, 20 episodes and they're done. Yeah, and, they're, uh, they're, they're completely wrong. They, I mean, they, they don't get it. I don't care how famous you are. It still takes a year and a half before you get any traction whatsoever. Then it starts to happen. And I don't know why it happens so fast after that, but it does. Is that part of it? Is that one of your kind of cyclical uh, prophecies. No, I, you know, I, I guess it might have something to do with it, but even I noticed with my blog, you know, it took me 18 months before the thing got traction, and I got a, bit, a lot of traction, and everything seems to fall into that. Some people can jump the jump the line, you know, occasionally, and, and get traction right away, but it's rare, and people that are really deeply into all this stuff and have a pretty good following, it still takes you 18 months, and if you're not willing to put in 18 months to see if it's going to, I mean, you might be able to say, well, this is a dog, I mean, if you really know it is, but generally speaking, if you don't think it's a dog uh, and you don't, won't put in the 18 months, you're never going to find out whether it would ever be successful. It's really a, a, it's just a matter of putting in the time and, and, and putting up with the slow growth. Only six months to go, Jason. Right. Well, it sounds like I think, I think we have more, more than a six months to get well, you know, anything like a real traction because we haven't done any promotion really, right? I mean, we've done... It's, a, it's only word of mouth. Yeah, really, and we started it? with zero. So getting to zero to what we are now, you know, is not bad with zero promotion, but we actually have to do more work in that, in that area, as John is absolutely right about. Um, yeah, if you, if you take it seriously, you've got to do some work. So um, that's what I'd recommend. And then wait, you know, you got just... Even without the work, there's still 18 months, and you might be surprised in six months when the thing starts going. Right. It may have nothing to do with the promotion, just the, the cycle, like you said. What, what, no, when, you, when you say traction for a podcast, I mean, what, what level, what, what number of listeners in sort of the tech area would you consider to have traction? What, what, what numbers are you thinking would be just getting? I think you know, you, when you get to 20,000, you're probably getting traction. 20,000. Huh? Right. And Leo has hundreds <laughs> of thousands, right? And the, Leo's probably got about 250,000, maybe. Depends for the Twitch show. It's hard to say. Uh, he's got a lot more than he had when he was doing tech TV, I can assure you. Wow. Uh, but 
I don't know what his numbers are exactly, but it seems we, we, we all believe that 400,000 is the absolute most you can get. Right. And uh, he's probably floating around 250, maybe 300. And would you, would you describe a listener? How, how would you describe it? What would be the metric? What, what is a listener in, in the listener is a person that listens. I don't think yeah, there's a metric like, involved. If you, think, like, if you look at downloads, like the you know, if you have subscribing downloads, you get uh, a thousand subscription downloads. What number of those would you might say are actual real listeners that aren't just sort of like zombie downloads? People have it on their iTunes that don't listen. Don't know. I haven't got a clue. Right. So, so his is like two hundred fifty thousand downloads in like a week or two for a show. I I don't know what his numbers are, but that would be my guess. Right. And how how big are your shows? Well, uh, the Horowitz show is about 25,000. Mm-hmm. Uh, the No Agenda show, we're looking at probably 150, maybe. Wow. Uh, that's what our numbers look like when we look at the stats. Right. Uh, which is, you know, 150 per show, which gives us 400, 500,000 a month or something like that. Right. Uh, the Tech 5 show is running around 35 to 45,000 max. Um, right. And uh, the the cranky geeks and the uh, not cranky cranky geeks is like two hundred thousand, but the t- the uh, tech grouch and the tech hippie, which are just uh-huh. throwaways, I just do for a kick, and those are actually get around thirty or thirty thousand views typically for first episode. And and those and those got to the jump start because they they sort of um, rode the coattails of your other shows, right? I mean, yeah, no, you could, yeah, you can do that. You, you know, if you have like something else going on and you do something really wacky like the tech hippie, and you just link to it, you're going to pick up half your people. You're going to check it out, right? Right. And Leo's plugged it a number of times, which helps. Right. And you do advertising in uh, Tech Five and Cranky Geeks, right? So. Those so because those are different types of shows. You're you're. No, that's because those are owned by uh, Mevio and Ziff Davis, and they, oh. they do the average. I got nothing to do with it. They I can see. do with their, you know this is their thing. I see. Okay, and so they just pay you on some kind of a contract to do the show, and that's right. That if it was up to me, I'd make it a donation show. Hmm. Wow, that's interesting. Um, well, uh, Justin, do you have any more any more questions? Uh, the the I guess one one of the last ones is. Um, Working with Adam Adam Curry, who is a crackpot, <laughs> that ha- that we have to admit, um, has has Adam ever like when he comes up with crackpot theories? Is your are you ever gonna kind of believe <laughs> believe them? Do you ever kind of get swayed by some of the things? Well, he, he says? has some stuff that he comes up with that's that's reasonable. I mean, not I mean the things that are just unreasonable are chemtrails, uh, crop circles. And two or three other things, which are just nuts, or the fact that he's going to meet somebody who's an alien, you know, and he tried to meet him and it wasn't an alien, it was some phony baloney. Uh, I mean, there's a couple of things. His earthquake machine theory, I, I only buy into because he's got uh, some documentation from the UN, so I, you know, have to think about it. Uh, and he's kind of comes up with some stuff that's off the wall, but it's it's interesting enough that we should discuss it. Yeah, you know, in terms yeah. of the whole all the conspiracy stuff, I, one thing that I've thought about a, quite a bit is that it seems that because the mainstream media has done such a poor job over the recent years of of, of really asking any tough questions of of you know of, of anything, especially the government, it, it seems like it's 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 creating more of these conspiracy theories because 
you know, there's so many unanswered questions and there's no way of vetting. Nobody's spending any time really vetting them because you, f- you figure, okay, you know, there's, there's this huge set of things that aren't being discussed and aren't being asked in the mainstream media. And then you get all these alternative hypotheses, the, uh, probably the majority which are wrong. Some are probably right, but just aren't being vetted. I mean, what do you think about that? I mean, is there just a vacuum? And so the conspiracy theories, the vacuum in that along with, you know, the Internet and the ease with which you can transmit information is, is causing that? You know, I think it's always been around. Uh, there's a, like these alternative explanations for this for a situation, and mm-hmm. you can usually. I mean, I don't know where, where these are conspiracies. I think the concept of conspiracy theories to, is to marginalize the person that's right. expressing some opinion of of the way things. Uh, are going. I mean, if we take a look at these big public relations companies, like the one who put that woman in front of Congress to uh, talk about the Kuwaiti war. Right. <laughs> Years ago, we found the whole thing was a setup. It was a phony. Right. And we know the this same thing happened. Is this a conspiracy or just hire a PR company? Right. I mean, that was the same thing that happened in Iraq. And then there's there's a lot of that going on with Iran right now, right? I mean, people repeat over and over and over. No, so we don't know what's going on. That's the problem. That's why these things crop up, because we're given poor information, uh, poorly reported on. And then we get you know good reporters and stuff gets marginalized or they're – Everyone says they're nuts, and you know it just is pathetic. I mean, that's essentially all we do is talk about this on the No Agenda show. I was going to say, Jason, that's why No Agenda is so good because they do they really kind of look into and go behind the scenes of these stories and try and understand the motives. Yeah, you know, you know it's like I, it's like I had an idea, and then I've talked about it on our show, I think, once before, was of having a website where people would submit alternative theories, and you'd actually have people would rank. You'd have maybe judges on the site or moderators that would rank the the quality of the evidence one through five or something like that, and you could track the development of a story or anything like you know the Christmas mm. bomber type of thing. And there's all these sort of, you know, was it Mossad or was it CIA or was it you know all these sort of things going on because the mainstream media was sort of ignoring it and conflating things. And it'd be really interesting if there was a site that you could submit information on alternative theory and then it, it would get voted up like a dig or something if there was quality evidence supporting it and like you need like you need some kind of open source way of vetting all of these mm, yeah theories. i think you're barking up the wrong tree with that idea because uh, yeah, you, you got uh, you know you got 12 year olds and you know old people and i mean you, you don't have the, the the people that would take part in that exercise are not vetted themselves and it would become a right. mess right who's watching the watcher kind of thing well, one of the things that i like about adam and his, his crackbot theories is that he brings in like, but he's very open to to new concepts, and so that that's how that comes into your show. And in fact, if he wasn't such a crackpot, it would probably mean the show would be lacking in content. Uh, that's probably true. So I well, think that should wrap it up. I have to go yeah. to a four o'clock thing. So I'm yeah, absolutely. Well, John, thank you so much for being on the show. We really appreciate it. We're both yeah. Well, good fans. luck to you guys, and make sure to uh, promote yourself a little more. Yeah, we'll, we'll do that, and we'll we'll definitely invite you back on the hundredth episode. That sounds good. (laughs) All right. Well, thanks so much, John. All right. That's a wrap. We're out. You there? Yeah, I'm I'm here, but Jason, Jason isn't. That's weird. Has this ever happened to you before? How do you handle a situation like this? I usually don't do conferencing. But yeah, it happens all the time. So how do you guys uh, work it then if you don't do conferencing?
No, it's just a, just a direct one-on-one call. Oh, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, fine. But, but for example, with Twit, what, you're conferencing then, right? Or how does that work? No, Leo, Leo has it set up so every call that comes in on Twit is on a separate computer on a separate line. And he does the mix at his end. Huh. It's a very elaborate and expensive way to do it. If you keep a messenger channel open like uh, uh, MSN or Yahoo or both, uh, it makes it almost impossible for uh, any of these phone companies to, or any of these ISPs to do deep packet sniffing. And uh, I believe, and, and it keeps the, the Skype call pretty clean for forever. That's interesting. So basically put, put on uh, MSN Messenger. Yeah, I have it running. Because, you know, these things, I, I believe that, I, I can't prove this and no one's going to admit it, but I believe that they come in with these uh, bots and they do deep packet sniffing and they look around to see if you're on Skype. And then they say, oh, I don't know, Let's let, after an hour we're going to kill this guy. Um, but I think it's confusing when you have a bunch of messaging systems running at once and I don't think you can actually see Skype. That's only a theory based on the fact that every time I noticed this recently, that I just accidentally had open a couple of these messaging systems during a Skype call, and the Skype call was perfect. 